everyone, and welcome to the PhD to Be podcast, a podcast where we talk about graduate school. My name is Natalie, and on today's episode, we are going to be interviewing Sylvia. She is a friend that I met at the University of Houston. She's been a graduate student and is also going to talk about her life after graduate school. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. everyone doing good Dallas is here I'm here hi yay and my friend Sylvia is here how are you doing Sylvia she had COVID so for the first time ever which was very traumatizing oh no girl Uh, yeah it's not fun I was like I'm not even a student and I can't imagine like trying to get COVID like well not trying but getting it when you're like going to school like just having a whole week did not plan at work I was just can I please work from home she's like no go to sleep and I'm like okay I guess yeah it's it's going around again and um, I had a friend actually message me today that she had 10 students out today with COVID wow. we were supposed to interview Sylvia last week but that's when she was sick so here we are today we're so excited that you're here Sylvia I think we've I've thrown around the idea of you being on the podcast for a little bit and I just like hadn't actually in this time I was like no let's like actually do this so I'm super happy that you're here and um, I'm just excited that you get to talk about your experiences as a graduate student so um, let's begin by you sort of just maybe giving us a little bit of a description of who you are and maybe your hobbies maybe your current job anything anything you want to share just to kind of get us started. Okay, well, I'm Sylvia. I am always forgetting my age. <laughs> I'm like 28 at this point, I think. The COVID kind of messed everyone up, and I just want to like keep saying that I'm in my low 20s, but people like to remind me that I'm not. Um, I am currently a adult program specialist for Harris County Public Library, and that entails just planning programs for the community specifically for adults. But since I'm the adult literacy coordinator, it's mostly just like ESL classes, citizenship classes. We offer programs for adults who are English speaking, but never learned how to read and write. So I'm just kind of in charge of anything that has to do with literacy. I also do like financial programs, computer programs. I don't always teach them. Sometimes I find um, educators to offer these programs for us. And that takes a good chunk of my time. I also co-host a book club with one of my friends, Emily. It's so, mostly virtual because we run it through our Instagram accounts, but, and we have like virtual meetings, but we also meet in person now in Houston. And so that's been really fun to actually see people's faces in person and get to eat and share a meal together. And that's kind of the gist of my life at the moment, just work and book club. That's amazing. Um, I want to ask, are the programs that you're in charge of sort of designing for the library, are they free programs? Yes. So everything that the library offers is free. It's either resources that we already had or we apply for a lot of grants. I know 
we're kind of like fingers crossed waiting for a big grant for like more of our citizenship classes but everything is either you know taxpayer money right or money that goes normally or we have a group that's called friends of the library and they donate so sometimes if we're doing like a craft program and we need supplies they're the group that donates some libraries fundraise like have you ever noticed that they're like selling old books and stuff or snacks but everything's free for the community I love that so much I remember when I was a little girl like our library doing stuff for children of course and I always loved whenever we would go to like little library events for kids. Um, it's funny because I don't really think, I guess I never really think much about programs that are good for adults. So I really love that the library is focusing on literacy for adults who need it. I love that so much. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I know kids are like the bread and butter of the library. And it's crazy because people think that they're going to show up to a library and it's going to be quiet, but at least our branch is a lot smaller so what we have this thing called a family place which is a little area with like toys that are supposed to help kids with like their motor skills or and it has like little board books and everything but it's in the same area with the books and then we're a library that caters to three elementary schools one middle school and one high school we're like walking distance from these kids so they're there all day it's like a, a free it's basically daycare which can be very exhausting on us but I mean, libraries have a lot of programs for children, and I grew up going to the library and enjoying the programs, but there are so much cool stuff for adults, too. Like, I'm trying to do, like, movie nights, and I have a coworker who's also an adult specialist, but she does, like, the craft. She has an anime club. Uh, one of, uh, She does, I think she was doing, like, a clay art kind of program over the summer. And our part-timer was doing a sketch club and now she's starting a crochet club. So there's all sorts of things for adults. And then we have a person specifically for teens and then someone who does like tweens and then someone who does like the babies. So it's all ages. That's incredible. I love that so much. Yeah. And she always is posting like what's there and I'm like going through her stories. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'll have so much. And it's so funny, kind of like what you both said. I grew up going to the library too. Like, it's just so great to see how libraries just really, especially in your case, are really truly serving the community. Like that's what they're there for. And so it's so nice to be able to say that, but then also like offer all these free opportunities for like all ages. So that is just so cool. Um, We might kind of get maybe closer to the end of the, the episode, uh, talk about how you decided to apply after, you know, you graduated, but let's start a little bit from the beginning. Let's start before we get into how we met, because um, obviously it has to do with college and all that kind of stuff and how our friendship. Let's talk a little bit about sort of your background into your college education, like before graduate school. So you went to undergrad at the University of Houston, just like me. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your college experience? Did you go to a community college prior to that? Like, what did that sort of look like at first for you? So I was one of those people that like always knew what they wanted to do ever since I was young. Like I had like a list of things that I like. I like writing. I like reading. I want to teach and I like languages. And I so initially I, I went straight to U of H. Initially, though, I was only supposed to be a creative writing major and an anthropology minor. But 
with creative, so with creative writing, you have to do the basics for the program itself and like a lot of like English classes, then you apply for the creative writing program. So a lot of the times if you don't get into the creative writing program, you could try again the next semester or most of those will already transfer into just being an English lit major. Right. I, and they let you apply for both. So I was able to apply for both fiction and poetry, got into both. And then I just went the fiction route because I had already done so many workshops in poetry. I felt like I was getting a lot of help in poetry, but not a lot in fiction writing. So I did that. But after my first semester of taking anthropology, I was like, this is so fun. Like you get to learn about people's cultures and you're reading and there's like all these languages. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to like just switch this to a double major. And it was convenient because they're both liberal arts programs. So they had the same requirements, like take one this, take one that. So it didn't mess me up at all. But um, at some point, like I was just having a lot of fun with the French and I had always wanted like I started learning French on my own as a little kid. Like I remember I would purposely like switch the cell phone settings on my parents' cell phones or like on the TV just so that they'd be in French. Or I would spend like hours in the shower just like reading the French side. So around middle school, I started trying to teach myself and I was so excited to go to high school because I was going to get to learn French. And once my senior year was coming around, unfortunately, our French teacher had retired after our sophomore year. And she was the one qualified to teach AP. The new one wasn't. And she was trying to get qualified and they wanted her to teach Spanish AP instead. And we tried to like do this whole petition. Like I was just angry, but they were like, okay, we'll let you take French. We'll do an online course. And so we signed, like I was the only student in the whole entire district that was going to be taking French. And they were so excited. And then like, weeks kept passing and nothing was happening and then eventually it was like oh turns out that we need to buy a whole new system or some new software the school doesn't have the money for it so you can't do it and I just remember being so upset like I yelled at this poor little old man this poor little counselor who was just you know the bearer of the bad news but I was like I'm going to get a degree in French and it's not going to be because of you you know like imaginarily flips the table and does this whole thing and he was just like oh that's so exciting like he was so unfazed by my tantrum. So like I knew that I was going to do French regardless. I just never thought like, oh, it's also going to be my minor. And then at some point I was like, yeah, I'm just going to declare a minor in French. I would have totally done like a third major if it was humanly possible. But the counselor that I liked the best was the anthropology one. He was just really like on top of emailing students. The person that like if you wanted to find out about internships jobs like he was just keeping you on the loop so that's who I would go to for everything he's like you have to graduate you can't keep doing this and I was like oh okay and I think I graduated with like a hundred and I think our max was like 150 I may have graduated at like 148 credits and so it was like really bad and he was like you need to go like you can't just keep doing this and I was like oh okay I guess I'll graduate and not get a third major but that is a very long story to say that I double majored slash minored. I hold, I thought, I don't know why I was under the impression that you got your bachelor's, one of them, I guess, you know, um, in literature. It was creative writing. I did not know that. I mean, obviously, like, like you said earlier, like you have to take lit classes and those things to kind of supplement that. But I don't know. I had no idea. I was under the impression that you and I both did lit. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, no, I was I was writing stories. Very okay. dramatic, by the way. I, I know I had this one where like 
this girl tries to get pregnant and gets her like friend to get her pregnant. It was like this crazy drama, and these kids were people were writing notes on the workshop, like, ooh, like this is so. Sometimes I look Spicy. at these and I'm like, what we, what, we, what was going on in your mind? Like, ma'am, you were like twenty. What is wrong with you? Spicy. <laughs> I love that you were like so obsessed with learning French because I had to take so much French in school. I think I took like five years of French, like in middle slash high school. And then I had to do, I had to do like another two years of French in college. And I could not, I could maybe, I can ask how to go to the bathroom in French. And I think that's about as fluent as it gets for me. in French. So I love that you're so passionate about wanting to learn French cuz I did not want to take foreign language class. I think it was the well I was just curious about it as a little kid always. like any kind of language like I used to try to make my own secret languages with my friends or I would gravitate to like books that had like little codes or something like that but I think also just being told that I couldn't take it or that it wasn't going to be offered that just made me so mad and it was very like scary getting to U of H because by then I hadn't done French in a year and I felt like I didn't remember much and then as I continued advancing in the French there was kids who obviously had the benefit of schools that did provide excellent French and there are a lot of people who are native French speakers in the advanced classes they're from French-speaking countries but they're doing you know like a French lit class, a French cinema class, the way we would be doing an English lit class. And so it is very nerve wracking to be like, oh my God, these people had a much better background in French and their accent is amazing. But I don't know, I really just liked learning. So I just went for it. Okay, so can we reminisce a little bit on what you remember from when we met? Because I remember we were in a Shakespeare class, but I don't, and I don't remember anything else. Like, I don't remember what happened. Do you remember? I'm, I'm trying to think of the year. I'm like, I know my mom gave birth, so it was 2015. Yes. Yeah. Cause it was the fall, the fall that I, cause I, I started a community college and I transferred into the university of Houston and I transferred in in 2015. So it was that, that's that fall semester. So it was 2015. Yeah. I, I remember who the professor was. I mean, I don't remember her name, but I remember what she looked like. And we were in that like auditorium style room. Um, And then we did that. Remember we did that project where we were supposed to like do this online thing and apparently it was going to get published and then it never got published. <laughs> I was just about to bring that up because I'm so triggered by that. So I was really excited because I grew up a nerd and I loved Shakespeare since I was a little kid. Like, for some reason, that was the thing that I wanted to read as a child, like a big weirdo. And so like finally getting to take a class where like, oh, I'm like, because I, I did do like the Shakespeare, like the typical like Romeo and Juliet Hamlet in high school. But this was like a whole class where we we're going to be reading his work. And As You Like It was one of my favorites. And I think it was one of the ones that we read. It was. And so excited to take the class and then she hits us with we're writing a project which in itself was a fascinating project about like that time period and you had to research certain things and I remember my group was doing like women prisoners I don't even know like what everybody was like researching but as fascinating as it was this was not Shakespeare it was like a whole full-fledged research project where we had to go into like these weird archives that the library had and we had to learn like 
I guess I can appreciate the fact that it taught me how to do research. The subject itself was interesting, but it was not Shakespeare. And I was so mad because like, I was supposed to be learning Shakespeare. But I do remember meeting Natalie. And I remember that I like kind of approached her and we started like, just talking about the class, but I don't know that we necessarily became friends that semester as much as we became friends through the honor society. Like, I think we, we talked, but I think the honor society is really what made us like closer because we were spending so much more time because of the honor society. I totally forgot about, okay. So I remember Sigma Tau Delta, like that's what it's called. I, I can't, like, I can't even remember you being in there and I'm so sorry for that. But like, that I mean granted, I don't remember a lot of stuff from from that anyway like I remember Mackenzie was the president do you remember Mackenzie yeah she was the president and I remember like our faculty rep um I forget what her name is um uh was it who Gonzalez yes yes the yes 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 what do you remember from being a part of that honor society because clearly I need my memory to be re-triggered I just remember some kind of Thanksgiving dinner. I don't know. It was in that fancy room in the English, like the that building that eventually got remodeled. I remember we helped at the new, like the new group that was coming in. We, their, you know, their little ceremony, we helped at that. And I know that we did, one year there was like, we wrote poems for Valentine's Day and we sold them. Yeah, I remember so now. I remember the poems. I remember now the the initiation of the Sigma Tau Delta. It was in the um the chapel. No, was it in the chapel or was it in the I think ours was in the chapel. Maybe the other group that we helped was in I don't know. It had like a second floor. Maybe it was. Do you remember speaking of creative writers? Do you remember this one guy named Gerald? Uh French no no he was I think he was just like some white kid (laughs) but like he was a creative writer and he would write the wackiest stuff and everybody thought it was because he was on drugs I remember his face did he well was he part of the Sigma Tau Delta yeah yeah then he was also a French student if it's I'm thinking about he's currently living in Europe did he look like a hipster yes yeah he lives in Europe right now Mr. Fancy over here. Wow. Okay. Um, man, I wish I remembered more stuff about our time at the University of Houston. I don't know if it's just because of like <laughs> my brain chemistry being altered from this past year or what, because I feel like I've lost a lot of memories. Um, but I remember meeting you there and that's how we like kept in touch ever since, right? And yeah. so, man, did we take any other classes together aside from the Shakespeare? Because we we didn't. No, I'm pretty sure that that was the only class we took together. It's just that we spend so much time at the Honor Society. Wow. Man, that's crazy. Which kind of makes sense, though, because you were more creative writing classes. And, you know, I was more on the lit side, which obviously kind of balances out anyway. But then you were in, like, your anthropology classes. And so there's a little bit of that. Wow. Hmm. Well, it doesn't matter if we, I can't remember. We're still friends, and that's all that matters. Um. Okay. <laughs> me do what I'm like you were you remembered me enough to invite me on the podcast that counts exactly exactly no I mean come on we've kept in touch like all these years so it's like fine um 
I, I'd love to just kind of hear a little bit about, um, I think it would be, I forget what the word is, but like, I, I think it would be wasteful of an opportunity to talk about your experiences as a Latina in the University of Houston, like at the University of Houston, like University of Houston is one of the most diverse universities in the world. Like that's not even exaggeration. Like it, that's actually the truth. Like I'd love to talk about see if there's anything that you can think about or any anything that you sort of had to, like challenges um that you maybe experienced or do you feel like because it's a diverse university like it kind of didn't feel that like ostracizing i think that like i mentioned earlier with the french that is probably the one time where i, I continue to feel really like imposter syndrome or like very insecure about because i I know I know French. I mean, and when we start talking about my graduate like experience, I, my graduate career was in French. So obviously, like I know it enough to survive, right? But it's still one of those situations where I'm not 100% sure I know it. Or, and, and there was people who obviously got to go to schools that were private and were able to train them in these languages. Whereas I went to a very typical Texas public school that didn't care necessarily about foreign languages and because it was a Spanish majority like that's just kind of what they pushed for like they already know Spanish let's just put them in Spanish which is absolutely great to be teaching Spanish because a lot of us don't read it and write it perfectly so that would have been a great thing to do anyways but I didn't feel that support because of being like the community that I grew up in but that wasn't necessarily a U of H thing as much as just public school in itself. I happen to have very diverse teachers in um, creative writing. It was a lot of mostly women, but I had a lot of African-American instructors. A lot of the classes that I veered towards were like part of the women's gender and sexuality studies uh, group. So there was like a little bit of diversity there. I did a lot of the Mexican-American anthropology and lit classes. So the instructors were Latinos. Um, even like one of my anthropology professors was Latina, but with her, she actually, I don't know the whole story, so I can't like share the whole gossip, but I do know she left the University of Houston last year and cited on Twitter that she just felt like it wasn't fully supportive and di as diverse as that should have been, at least not the anthropology department. Um, I don't, I don't know if it has something to do with like tenure or like the possibilities that she had. But I do know that she was part of an organization where there were a lot of Latina instructors like all over U of H. And they actually brought like the actress Diane Guerrero to speak to the community. So I know that there is a lot of Latino representation. I know there's a lot of sororities and fraternities for Latinos. There's a lot of um, Black fraternities and sororities. I've seen a lot of like Asian students. So there is a really great diversity. I don't know if the possibilities are completely there for faculty yet. I think it's still expanding, but I did have faculty that either they were minorities, like uh, Professor Abuela, which is one of my absolute favorites. Like we're still very close friends. He grew up, I want to say in Midwest Texas, but he's of like an Arab descent. Um, I have like, I had a professor who was Indian. So there was a diversity in my professors or they were teaching diverse subjects to work. I wasn't being ostracized for being Latina. So I don't think, I think that UH 
was good. It could probably be better. I think that any university could be a lot better. And now when I think about like, oh, wow, I thought she had it good. And then to find out like she left the university because she didn't feel supported. So that's very discouraging to hear. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with my own experiences at the University of Houston. Like, I I didn't feel, um, and it's funny because when you're in the moment, you don't really notice it. But then I went to two, currently at a PWI, and then my previous institution was a PWI as well. So it's like, oh yeah, there is like a difference. So, um, I think that's the issue too. You really highlighted a point about like faculty. Like, yeah, students you can have diverse students and accept diverse students and all those types of things, but then your faculty is still not representative of that. And so it's kind of interesting that that was that uh, her experience, despite it 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 being you know one of the most diverse universities um, in the world. Um, Sylvia, what made you decide to go to graduate school? Um, where I. I well, I know you went to U of H for grad school as well. So what made you decide to stay at U of H and what did you go to school for? I kind of knew that I wanted, like I didn't fully understand what grad school was growing up because I wasn't necessarily in, a, I was in a community that was obviously trying to push for us to go get a higher education, but they weren't like, go get your bachelor's and then your master's and then your doctorate. But I kind of knew like, oh, if I want to be a college professor, one day, like, I probably have to stay in school forever. And I loved school. So I was like, why don't I just stay in school forever? This would be great. But um, so actually, my dream school was UNC at um, Chapel Hill in North Carolina. That was like my dream school. But realistically, I just not was not going to be able to go there. And I was not going to be able to afford it. So I was very sad. And I got very close to actually not going to U of H and just kind of trying to do community college for a while to see if I could eventually go but I didn't and I'm I'm very thankful for the opportunity to go to U of H because of the faculty that I met because of the opportunities that I got and the like the friends that I made but I was like okay well that's where I want to go for grad school so once so I did five years of undergrad once I was coming towards the end I actually applied for teach for America and I was going to try to do that for a while. Um, I applied. I got in. I was going to go to North Carolina. But like I mentioned earlier, my mom gave birth in 2015. And I graduated in 2017. So I had a two-year-old brother. And the idea of going to North Carolina when you have a two-year-old brother is like kind of heartbreaking. Especially when you've just been at home all the time for him. And I had a little sister who... Don't even remember how old Natalia was at that point, but I'm 13 years older than her. So right now she's a sophomore in high school. So they're both very little and I've been very present in their lives. So I, I just didn't feel like moving. And I don't necessarily feel like Teach for America was going to fully prepare me to be a teacher, especially for like communities that needed people who were prepared. Like I never took a single class on how to teach. I didn't know how to teach. And I was like, you're just going to throw me in this area, like community that absolutely like needs teachers. I'm probably not going to get a TA. And I think I was going to be assigned to special education, which I have no experience and no prep. Like, I just felt like I was going to be doing a disservice to the group, especially because I knew like part of my wanting to do Teach for America was because I'd get to live there the two years, eventually be considered a, a resident of North Carolina and then not have to pay out-of-state tuition. So it just felt very wrong to sort of be like, 
I'm going to be your teacher for two years. Psych, I'm out. Like, I'm only doing this to go to North Carolina, you know? And I, I can't just, like, pack up and move to North Carolina. So I was like, no, let me figure out what to do. And I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I wanted to keep going to school. So I ended up taking a gap year where I learned Irish. And I found out about, I like the fall semester I graduated in the spring so the fall semester of 2016 I took an Irish post-colonial lit or Irish in the 1900s something like that like it was a literature class on Irish lit and I found out about St. Thomas which is a private Catholic school in Houston it is the only school in the south that teaches Irish the Irish language and so I was like you know what that sounds fun. And I'm going to be honest, I like stalked the school and there was this professor who was absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> like blue eyes, wonderful, beautiful Irish man. And I was like, oh, this is the love of my life. So I signed up to take Irish. I paid almost $3,000 for the fall semester, $3,000 for the spring semester just so that I could learn a language in a country that was colonized by the English, that is predominantly English speaking. And my dad was like, okay, whatever. My child wants to learn Irish. I know she likes languages. When my uncle told him, like, you know, they speak English there. He was like, what? I was like, oh, they, they do? That's crazy. Like, I didn't know. But I did the Irish. Um, and just jumping back a little, I had actually done Turkish lessons at U of H. So it is pretty diverse. Like they had a group from the Turkish um, embassy that would come and teach Turkish for free to students. So I learned Turkish there too. But yeah, I did Irish. I actually had a 4.0 GPA because that man was beautiful and I was trying to convince him that he was the love of my life. Uh, I got a scholarship and then I studied abroad in Ireland that summer. And then I was like, okay, I had this friend, his name was Richard. He was a wonderful person. Um, we met at U of H as well. He was an English lit major he well no actually he was a creative writing and poetry he was trying to do an MFA in creative writing but his backstory is that he's from Canada had a whole PhD in like children child psychology but when he came to the U.S. like that some of it wouldn't transfer so he had to do some English undergrad classes just to apply for an MFA so that's how we met and he would just tell me about his experience in grad school so I was like you know what like I think I'm just gonna do it U of H ended up sending me an email where they said because I graduated with honors I didn't have to take the GRE is it yeah I didn't have to take the GRE I didn't have to pay to apply like you just apply and if you know you get in you get in so I was like okay well I know that I want to do comparative lit because I love anthropology I love literature I love languages they didn't have that but they had world cultures and literatures and so like I remember just kind of talking to Richard about like, this is what I want to do. So I applied, I got in. Unfortunately, Richard did pass that. He passed in August of 2018. He had cancer. So it was kind of like my little motivation to keep like, you know, doing it for him. And I was very excited. And it's really sad that I don't have that person to talk to about like, hey, this is kind of like part of what you helped push me for. I had so many English classes with him like as an undergrad and so it was really nice to kind of have this master's and kind of do it for him but I did world cultures and literature my concentration was in comparative liter literary studies and French so I kind of did both like it was kind of like if you were doing the comparative literature route 
or comparative literary studies route, like there was this amount of requirements that you had to take. But if you're trying to do like in one of the foreign languages, it was like this many classes. And so I kind of did both. I did enough to meet both. And so in the compare like world cultures and literatures, like I did absolutely everything under the sun. Like I did French, African cinema. I did Mexican cinema. So I did every like Guillermo del Toro, Iñaruto, like all of Alfonso Cuaron. I did a post-colonial like class. Like I did a couple of English classes. Like a, a what? There was one English class that was also under the women's gender and sexuality studies, and I did enough classes in that subject that I got a um, it's like a graduate certificate in women's genders and sexuality studies because eventually, like the subject that I was focusing on was black women and like African countries, like in Francophone Africa. So mo specifically Senegal, but a lot of the other countries that France colonized. And I did do like some Haitian, I did some, there was some Southern American authors. There was a lot of Canada. I did some French texts, but I kind of did all over the world with like the French, but I'm just because the colonizers colonized everywhere. So like I did a lot of, I took classes where I was reading in Spanish for like, like I said, like the film classes or just authors that were Spanish, but writing from South America. I watched films in like Arabic, Wolof. I did a class in Italian at some point. Like there was just like a mix of languages at some point. I couldn't even tell like what I was doing. Like I'd just be sitting there, there was a movie playing. And like, sometimes the subtitles were in English. Sometimes the subtitles were in French or they were in, I had like no idea, like at what point, like what language am I even speaking at this point? But it was kind of everything thrown together. It was literature, it was languages, it was people. So like anthropology, writing, it was kind of everything, but that was my master's. Wow, that's incredible. Um, I am sorry to hear about your friend who passed. That's really sad. Um, but I think it's sweet that you were able to use that as some sort of like motivation for yourself to continue in the program. Um, but that sounds like such an amazing MA program. Like, wow, you got to learn so many different things. And that's really cool that they let you do so many things within that MA because I know it goes by so fast. And um, sometimes there's like curriculums you got to follow that kind of keep you pretty limited. So it's kind of nice to hear that you got to like really explore within that yeah because it was I did my master's was three years like it was from the fall of 2018 to the spring of 2021 but just everything tied together so perfectly and because when you're doing like when your focus is so with comparative literature or literary studies like my focus was really on like colonized countries so like that kind of opened the door to so many countries and because I was focusing on women female experiences that opened its whole section but my master's was like my thesis itself was the representation of the black woman in french cinema so then that like allowed me to do french movies and i did like incorporate like french novels and like actual textbooks and stuff but like i was able to do like movies books all sorts of things just because i was able to explain how everything kind of tied together this is like the most diverse master's degree like ever like it's so cool that 
it's also just kind of nice to see that like from when you were in high school and you wanted to do something, you know, you wanted to study French and then you continue on, you know, with your bachelor's and whatnot and you're doing all these languages and everything. And then you still get to do that in your master's. Like that's the freaking dream. And kind of like what Dallas was saying, like, it's so nice to know that you were able to do such a wide array of things, like, because like she's right. Like usually, you know, your master's, they are very limited because they are shorter. Um, but you were still able to just like do what you wanted to do. And it seems so you, and that makes me so happy. Yeah. And definitely have, uh, it's like a hard and an easy time explaining it to people. But, like it's easy for me because it makes sense and I love it. But then people are like, I think of those memes where they're trying to like piece everything together or solve the whodunit. And they're like, how does this, and I'm sure my parents are still kind of like big old question marks, but my dad's just like, do you need help financially? Like, like, sure, I guess. I At this point, he's like, I don't know what my kid's studying. I don't know what she's going to do. She's probably going to be poor forever, but she seems really happy. I want to uh, highlight something you said earlier that um, I think is really important to talk about just with graduate school in general. Like when you were thinking about where you wanted to go for graduate school and the factors that determined like where you were gonna go right so you're thinking about your family a lot of people have this idea which to some extent makes sense but you know oh you should get your graduate degree from a different program that you didn't you know where you didn't get your undergrad go somewhere else and do I mean I've had that feedback which is why I ended up at Oklahoma State right and so um, I think it's really important that you shared your struggle and your tension of like where you wanted to go and for what reasons. Um, and also you just reflecting on like how important it was for you to be with your family. Right. And so the best choice was to stay in the same area. And so I think I really applaud you for that because so many people, um, really get caught up in the, oh, you have to go somewhere else, which is great. And I get it. But I also think it's like, no, but these other things really do matter. And I'm going to put those things first in order to um, make the best choice for me. Because imagine going to, you know, UNC and your brother is growing up without you, which obviously is very important to you. So it's like, I feel like it's really great that you shared that because so many people are in that position where maybe they have sick parents, maybe money is a deal, like, you know, or whatever that's keeping them from in a good way, keeping them from going somewhere they might want to go, but knowing that this is still at the end of the day, the best choice, which is so important when it comes to graduate school, it's a commitment, it's a sacrifice. And so what are you really willing to sacrifice? And it's okay if you don't want to make some sacrifices at the same time. So I, I'm really happy that you shared that because I think that's really crucial for, pe for people to think about when they think about where they might go to their grad program. Yeah, I, I always call my brother my little delicioso. Like he's this delicious little baby. And actually, last week when I had COVID, I was like, every time I look at you, I just want to kiss you. And he's like, well, don't look at me then. And I'm like, you know what? I don't like you no more. Like, you're seven and you're kind of mean. But yeah, it, just him and my sister, they were just a really big part of like, not really being able to leave. And just, I think when, like you were mentioning earlier, just being like Latina my parents were very supportive of the fact that I loved school and I loved learning and they never tried to I mean my dad a lot like helping me because I was working at Walgreens to kind of pay for my bachelor's and my master I stayed at Walgreens throughout my master's degree as well and I tutored and like you, 
but it's not, not always going to be enough. Like financial aid, working at Walgreens wasn't going to be enough to like try to pay my parents some kind of rent, try to pay my car, my gas. I mean, you got to pay for parking at U of H, which is like the most insane. Like it just keeps going up and parking is a hassle. Like you could be at the parking lot for an hour trying to, I would park off campus. So it's like an hour just to wait for a shuttle bus to take me to campus. So it was just a nightmare. Like, obviously he was very supportive because he helped buy me a laptop. He paid for Irish, even though like, he's like, this is the weirdest thing ever. Like what even is Irish? What is Ireland? But I still am a first generation Latina. And so I, there was a lot of pressure and like, you can't really leave home unless you're married. Um, you kind of have to help around the house. You have to help with the siblings and just like, there was a lot of pressure that necessarily wasn't necessarily my choice, but was my choice. Like I did make the choice not to move to North Carolina because my siblings matter to me, but I also just stayed at home longer than maybe was the best for my mental health. So I do actually no longer live with my parents, which has been better for our relationship. But I don't think that I would have been able to do that while I was in grad school just because there's just no, like, I'm already living paycheck to paycheck. Like, that's just, you know, it's not feasible for everyone. And I think that people don't always understand that. And especially when you're Latina, like, like I said, when you're a Latina and you're like the first daughter, like, that's not something that you typically do. You don't really leave unless you've got this really crazy career or you're married. It's even a career, like, you don't really do it. And there's not always kind of some kind of pushback from family in that way, but also just coming from not being able to financially afford to really like move out or do these things, you know? So I had to stay home. My brother was able to go to Huntsville, but again, it's only like an hour. And even that was like, my mom was like, this is horrible. And I did at some point, like feel very like resentful towards that because he did get to go like at least move somewhere like I did want to at least do my undergrad like maybe like San Marcos or something but I didn't get to there was a little bit of resentment there but at the same time kind of understanding that this is just the situation I was given and I was very fortunate that U of H ended up allowing me to fall in love with it. I applied to University of Houston for grad school and I got rejected. Oh lord. Which (laughs) is department? The English department. I was like, at least you didn't apply for like an MFA. I feel like the creative writing department is very bougie. And yes. sometimes like I would always apply to, I forget what their literary, their undergrad literary journal is, but they would have like creative writing and fiction, like fiction and poetry. And I would always like submit stuff and get rejected. And then I would read what was on there. And I was like, this is so bougie. Like, what does this even mean? Like none of it made, like it was not my kind of art. So I was like, I can see why I'm getting rejected. Like what I'm writing is not this. It doesn't mean that what I'm writing isn't good. It doesn't mean what they're publishing isn't good, but we are not the same genre. Very, you know? But that's why I didn't just like pursue the creative writing anymore, like past my bachelor's. Cause I was like, this is, this is weird. This is very hipster. This is not me. This is just no. Yeah. Their program, creative writing program is a big deal. Um, not as big as the Iowa writing program, but yeah, their, their, um, MFAs and all that. Um, I want to just bring something up and then I'll let Dallas sort of, you know, respond to everything you just said. But I think, um, we have a colleague who, um, is the eldest daughter of a Mexican family and she go has gone through a lot of the same things you have as far as being 
the older, you know, the oldest daughter with younger siblings, but then also a graduate student. And so I think it's important that you highlight that because that wasn't my experience. I'm the oldest. Um, but I left right after my master's granted, like that was kind of the situation, you know, that ended up happening, but, um, and I didn't really think about this until later in life, but I think it's just the way that we sort of been conditioned of like, you take care of the family as well. You're involved and you're doing all these things. And I don't know if it's just because my family grew up a little bit, maybe it's shaped a little bit different. I don't know, but, but this is a very common thing and it does impact your life as a graduate student. Like, um, the colleague that we're talking about, she's had to set boundaries with her family talking about like, I want to help you because I recognize like how important this is to our culture, but I also have 300 pages to read for class tomorrow. And so I really appreciated that you brought that up because that does impact your grad school experience. No, it really does. And, um, you know, we see her kind of struggle with that as well. So hearing that you kind of also not, not struggled, but, you know, felt that pressure of the culture that says like, Hey, you're the oldest um, daughter. You need to help. You need to help around the house and help take care of the kids. I can't speak to that either. Um, Just because I don't have any younger siblings that I, I mean, I have my brother, you know, but, um, and leaving him was really hard as well. But, uh, I think because he's always going to need a caretaker, my parents have already just like fulfilled that role with the intention that they are always going to be fulfilling that role until they can't anymore. And then it becomes my responsibility. So I think like it was easier for me to leave and say like, hey, I need to leave to go do this because they already were kind of like in, they've always been in caretaker mode with him specifically. But I realized that that's not everybody's situation either. Um him having downs just kind of made that a little easier for me to just up and leave and then also we're twins so even if he didn't have down syndrome like we'd be on the same level like playing field as far as like age and job market stuff probably like where it wouldn't I wouldn't need to I wouldn't have needed to stay home even if he didn't have down so I can't really speak to that so I'm glad that we were able to have you on to kind of talk about that and like recognize like yeah I like some people might feel that way, especially if it's in their part of their culture, but like, it's also okay to say, Hey, like I really need to do school too. And I'm going to have to like, take a step back from all these responsibilities that are expected of me because I have to do this. And like, it's okay to do both. It's okay to have that, those caretaker roles, but step away from them when you need to. And I appreciate that your family was also supportive of you doing what you needed to do but also realizing that your family is so important to you that you also didn't want to leave either. Yeah, it was definitely hard setting boundaries just because I had to work to pay for school. And so working a job, like any kind of customer service job, they're not going to respect your time. And so I was working the craziest hours at Walgreens and like not to just Walgreens, like I, I genuinely enjoyed my time there, which is like, there's probably some PTSD there right but like uh, like I met some of my bestest friends at Walgreens I learned a lot at Walgreens but working at a place that does not close I mean they're they got a lot better after COVID they like the pharmacy did not have lunch they talked about it for the longest and they finally implemented a 30-minute lunch for the pharmacy and so these 
they were working nine hours without a lunch. Like they might go to the back, take a quick meal, you know, but like they don't have a lunch. The um, assistant managers, the shift leads did not have a lunch either. And I think it was still being taken out of their paycheck. They just never had a chance to actually go back and sit and have a lunch because of how in demand they were. And because we are in an area where there was constantly like, we were getting robbed all the time. You can't really do anything about it. And you think about it like, oh, of course, like they're, they're robbing a big company. So like, no, it doesn't impact anyone. But then it does because our hours get cut because of this. So then we're short staffed. And so it was a nightmare to be like, most of the time I was the only person in the store. Like there was people in the pharmacy working the pharmacy. I'd be the only person running the front register, the photo and the beauty department, plus the shift lead in charge, who's like the only person running around the floor. And everything's locked because everyone's stealing everything. And so like the craziest things from like condoms to pregnancy test, you have to go unlock it. And so it was a nightmare. And then we're talking about they're never closed. So Christmas Eve, when everyone else is closed and people are trying to buy last minute gifts, last minute drinks, last minute gift wrap, we're the ones that are open. Christmas Day, we're open. Thanksgiving, we're open. And people don't think like Father's Day, Mother's Day, football season, but like the Super Bowl were open and there's people coming in to buy ice. There's people coming in to buy soap. So having a very like toxic job where I, I was working 16 days straight, I was working like seven in the morning to midnight. It was exhausting on top of doing a bachelor's on top of then doing a master's. And they were great about scheduling me when I needed to be scheduled for school. But other than that, like I did not have a life. Like it was very much just school work and helping with my family and then ha them have not having them understand that like I am exhausted. Like Walgreens is physically exhausting. It's mentally exhausting from like socializing with people. And then I have school, which you don't see it, but it's there and it requires driving to campus because I don't live there. I don't have the luxury of not having to go through Houston traffic of not dealing with like parking. I have to sit in class, learn, and then I have to come back and do the homework and the tests and the papers. And as supportive as they were, financially as encouraging as they were, they didn't understand that. And so there was absolutely no boundaries on when I could do homework. Like, why are you awake? I, and I, I'm not the kind of person that does a, like a whole old nighter, but the only time that I could do work was at night. So I would stay up really late to do work because it's the only time the house is quiet and then sleep in because my classes are kind of like mid afternoon and so just completely like conflicts with like why are you all if you weren't up so late then you wouldn't be waking up so late and then chores would get done early and I'm like well no one's coming to your house to judge you every day for because I didn't sweep at like seven in the morning so it, it was hard and there is a, I think a lot of like resentment and the relationship got very toxic because we just were clashing a lot but at the end of the day, like I wanted to be in the place where my siblings were. And that is also hard, too, because like when I was an undergrad, Natalia was like a little baby. Like, I think my freshman year was when she started pre-K. So a pre like a little kid's not going to understand why you have homework. And then when you're in grad school and you have another little baby brother, like he's not going to understand why you don't want to like play with him. And so I've got to keep him enter entertained while I'm trying to do my homework. And so that has been a hassle, but I mean, I love these kids and they're adorable. So it's kind of like a toxic little pros and cons, right? Like same thing with Walgreens, like it paid for my school. It got me 
amazing friends but oh my god my back is still in pain you could not sit down and I'm like I had a coworker who was pregnant wasn't allowed to sit at the front register the only reason that I got to sit at the front register after my surgery was because I had a surgery and there wasn't like the main managers there the other one was just like I'm gonna go get you a stool so you can sit but we're talking like I had surgery on a Friday afternoon already thinking that I was gonna go into work Saturday but I like and I was fine I was like oh I'm ready to go the moment the drugs wore off I was like there's just no way and then I had to find my coverage of course customer service jobs really are so hard and I think people don't realize just how like exhausting a customer service job can be. I like, I've never worked at a Walgreens or a job that's open with such like late hours as a Walgreens. Thank God that I've always worked in customer service at jobs that like close at more reasonable times. Cause I can't even imagine having to deal with that. And then like on top of like living at home and your siblings being so young and having to do schoolwork, it's so hard. And like, you know, it's hard to make your parents also understand, like, I'm exhausted because I go to work and I go to school and I come home and there's things expected of me that I can't fulfill to my best ability because I'm just so exhausted. You know, it's like, I have to have time to do homework somewhere. It's like, they just, a lot of the times they don't understand it, you know, um, especially if if you are like a first gen kid. Um, cause I am as well. My parents just like, did not understand. Like, why are you always so tired? And like, why do you, you're always like taking a nap. I'm like, because I'm exhausted. Like I go to school, I have like three jobs. I don't want to do anything when I'm home. You know, <laughs> that's really hard. Were you single during school or were you in a relationship? Uh, undergrad, single masters, not single for a good chunk of it uh so that's like a whole other factor too right if you have a partner um having to also make time for them right so uh yeah that's like a whole other added layer because I know like Natalie had like a like she's been with him forever so I was just like how do you and I think Natalie you were working customer service like was it Target at some point Yeah. So as an undergrad, I worked at Target. I worked at Bath and Body Works and then I worked at Target. But once I started my master's, because my program was fully funded, I didn't have to get an additional job. But then I also did the long distance thing. He stayed in Houston and I was in Stillwater. And so um, honestly, though, like it wasn't that bad. Um, Obviously, the biggest thing was missing him. But like what y'all are talking about as far as like working because that's the biggest thing for me like now like having to have those additional jobs like those side hustles and we had a whole episode on side hustles so I mean you know but um I think for me that is really the biggest thing that is the most exhausting like all these other factors have such a big impact for sure but for me um and I think we could all relate to this like having to work to pay the bills right like so your your program Sylvia wasn't fully funded wasn't funded you know your master's wasn't funded um and so you're having to work all these hours at Walgreens to pay for it um now with the the PhD yeah I have my husband but I still need to have that supplemental work and so I mean it just kind of goes to show you like these programs (laughs) like going to grad school there's like a lot of factors that really do impact your experience family work like um you know life you know being in a relationship so many things speaking of the person that always keeps me up 
Hi, Manol. Say hi. Hi. How old are you? Seven. Seven? Okay, I'll go right now. Bye. Sorry. So cute. Oh, see, but that's what I love about this. Like, I love that you brought up family because I think a lot of people... Um, I don't know if I just don't have a close relationship with my, I mean, I love my siblings, you know, but for me, it was just so much easier to leave. Um, and I don't know what the situation was there, but um, even with you, Dallas, like you don't have a younger brother, but you have Austin and, you know, he's still your twin. Like y'all have been together, you know, since fetus stage. So it's like, you know, it's, it, I think this is really, um, it's just great that you brought this up, Sylvia, and just the importance of your family and like everything, even how that has an impact in your in your grad school life. Because you were planning your wedding. Was that still that was still your master's, right? No, girl, that was after I graduated my master's. Yeah, so that was its own thing. Mm -mm, no, yeah, I didn't have to worry about all that. Yeah, I'm like touching on relationships, too, because like I I dated, you know, but I wasn't like in a serious relationship. And I always loved the whole, I was just, I'm focusing on school. And I was like, which is down low for nobody wants me. <laughs> but I can't just even imagine like trying to date. Like I barely got to see my friend. And that was because the hours that I had for school and then with Walgreens, I always did evenings. So like Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, like evenings. Saturday night and then I'd come right back in Sunday morning and Sunday morning is kind of when you're going to go out with family and have fun so the times that everyone else is out having fun I'm at Walgreens because I need to be at Walgreens but then I have like evening classes the only thing that I do miss about Walgreens is like when I had to go to first off everything was there like I could literally just do my most of my groceries except for like fresh fruit and stuff at Walgreens everything with coupons everything with discounts like Walgreens taught me how to like hustle. Like I spent years not needing to buy anything, toilet paper, shampoos. Like I don't have to like buy that much because I know how to coupon. So like kudos to Walgreens for that. But I also loved that if I wanted to go to the grocery store, I went when there was no one there. I went to the mall when there was absolutely no humans at the mall. And now if I want to do anything because I work a nine to six, I have to go with like the general public and I'm like this is a nightmare like I miss my crazy shifts sometimes or like the weird graveyard shifts because I'm like oh my god pros and cons right like I love that for us like you just ne just never know right I'd love to hear about what you miss about graduate school um because you kind of touched on like sacrifices and hard parts but like is there something that you miss about it because I know we might get into this a little bit later but I know at one point you were thinking of pursuing a PhD um is there anything that you sort of miss about being in school I actually had a really hard time when I graduated because I graduated in 2021 right but COVID started in 2020 so like my spring semester midway through we switched to virtual which how do you do a foreign language virtually when like you're you're trying to have a conversation with your classmates right and right now we're able to sort of manage a conversation we're just three people but inevitably you're going to talk over each other sometimes there's going to be these awkward pauses like how do you manage any kind of graduate program where so much of it is discussion based and there's a big chunk of class so that was difficult but the fall of 2020 I actually wrote my thesis which how the 
black female body is represented in French film, it can be very depressing. I mean, I was, I was prepping for my thesis even from beforehand. So I was reading the most atrocious things that are done to, to women and like the practices that are still going on in Africa. And so that on top of, no, I left Walgreens that summer of 2020 and I went through a really bad breakup. I got cheated on. So that, and then I actually had two friends that passed away in 2020. Uh, one of them a coworker, and then one of them my uh, favorite customer from Walgreens. So all of that together, just stuck at home, reading and watching some very hor like horrible films. It, it was uh, like a huge troll on my mental health. And then spring semester came on and like it was still kind of virtual and which was great because I mean at least you don't have to pay for parking anymore but it's still very like weird right and so I graduated I did my master's there was still nowhere to go I mean I wanted to pursue a PhD but at the time the schools that I was interested in weren't accepting new students because they needed the funding for the students they had so what do I do like I don't want to get I don't want to take a gap year and then fall behind and then next you know it's been another year and another year but I've never not been a student I started kindergarten when I was four and I was trying to like get my parents to put me in school when I was really little like I was this tiny little human trying to go to school and they were like your kid's too young she has to wait a year so I did kinder at four and like I've been a student my whole life undergrad was five years I did the gap year which was Irish my master's was three years so now what do I do like uh, it was the hardest time of my life because I didn't know who I was without being a student. Like, it's all I've known. It's all that I've, I mean, I'm good at a lot of things, sure. But this is the one thing that I knew I excelled at. I, I love writing and my papers are absolutely beautiful. Like, my thesis is my baby. Like, no offense to Emmanuel who just walked in, right? But I didn't know who I was without being a student, but there just wasn't really any programs that were accepting. And like, as much as I loved U of H, it just wasn't going to be the program that I went to for my PhD. I had pretty much done everything that there was because I was so diverse in my master's and my undergrad, there wasn't anything for me to do anymore at U of H. Um, St. Thomas didn't really have the best reputation when it came to like the English department and so I didn't really know what to do and I was like well what if I do another master's in like Irish studies but like am I really going to pay and double that you know just to do another master's what am I even going to do with a second master's just because I love to learn and the only option was rice but again just like debating funding and I was tired I mean like I said I did grad school half of it during COVID I lost like three close friends. My grandma died in 2019 and my mom had a miscarriage my first semester. So how do you jump into PhD when you've been a student your whole life, when you've been working retail for five years and when you're feeling suicidal, like it's not an option. And so I had to kind of take that break, but then it was horrible not being able to find a job. And because I left Walgreens in 2020, whatever savings I had disappeared. And the problem is like, again, I no longer had money to buy things. I no longer was contributing with the groceries. I was no longer paying rent, but I'm still working. Like I'm still going to grad school, but how do you explain like 
what you're doing. And so it became a lot of tension with my mom, especially where I was like, you're not providing or you're not. So that was hard, like trying to find a job and not being able to. So I ended up going back to Walgreens May 28, like April and May of 2021. I did something like temporary, temporary. And then I graduated. I went to Mexico and then I came back. I kept trying to find a job because like I had no savings. It was like not a lot of places were hiring because of COVID. I did not want to be a teacher. Like I absolutely did not want to go into public education just because I could see how overwhelmed and underpaid my friends were. And that's where the library came in because it was like kind of like a, I always want to work at the library, you know, but the, the library that I started at is the library that I grew up going to from the fifth grade up until high school after high like once I got to high school there was a library close to high school and that's where I would go and then college I spent most of it at U of H but I had played around with the idea of working at a library for years and there was never an opening and then it just so happened that there was an opening for part-time and so I took it I got hired uh in November of 2021 and a month later they posted the full-time and usually you can't jump from one position to another until you've been working for six months. But they made the exception where it's like, well, we know that she wanted full-time, but there, there was an issue. They were supposed to post both, but they didn't post full-time. And so they were kind enough to hire me on full-time. And it was just the perk of, this is the library system that I've been going to since the fifth grade. Nobody's going to know HCPL better than a patron and not just a patron of HCPL, a patron of this branch who knows the community because she's part of the community. So I got that job and I was a library library specialist, or I think it's a library technician now. So I was just basically circulation, just checking out books, shelving, but I wanted to do more. And so I had an uncle who uh, spent years in prison. And so I have like a very personal relationship just to like the importance of like education in prison and writing letters. And so they had this thing called research by mail, where we answer inmates letters from all of Texas, actually. And it's fascinating the things they ask. I mean, sometimes it's just like pictures of Kat Dennings and you got to make sure, you know, you keep it PG. Sometimes it's like conspiracy theories. Sometimes it's anything that you can imagine a person asking a librarian, you know, sometimes they want information about cases or but it's, we're doing library work without having a librarian degree. But I wanted to teach and I wanted to teach adults. And so the opportunity to teach ESL came up. And so I got trained and I started offering conversational classes, but I wasn't getting paid for it. Like my position was strictly circulation. And we didn't have a children's librarian because my friend and my coworker ended up moving to the law library. So I started doing story times. I started offering movie nights or and mo like movie showing. So I was doing all these programs without getting paid what a programming specialist was getting paid. And unfortunately, I didn't have the best relationship with the manager. The manager that hired me was great, but he left to another library system a month in. So the like pseudo library like manager was another manager and he was great, but he's from a different branch. And when they hired the new librarian, like the new manager, she was just awful to me. And it triggered a lot of like my imposter syndrome. And it was a lot of like favoritism towards a staff member that had been there for years. Although I was bringing in fresh ideas, I was doing so much more of the work. And so just like seeing seniority at play where I was like, this is insane. Like I have a master's degree, like this, 
and I'm not trying to be like snobby, but like this really is below me. Like in a way where like when you think about how much you spent on your education to still be, only be p- making like $15 an hour and then being treated poorly because I want to do more programs. And she's like, no, but that's like, like it was very much stay in your lane. You're a circulation person. And it like my late nights were Tuesdays. So I would leave at six on Thursdays, but Tuesdays I'd leave at eight. And my coworker wanted my late night. So they switched it. She wanted my weekend. So they switched because we work on and off weekends. So like there was just so much favoritism going to this person because of the seniority and the experience. And while I do understand that and I can respect seniority, it was it felt very unfair that I was just like completely being talked down. Everything was being taken from me. She was threatening to like take programs. She's like, if you don't know how to like follow directions, then you're just not going to do programs. And it's like, all of these programs were approved for me to do before you stepped in. I was given the green light to teach ESL because this community needs it. Like I am literally coming from the community that needs to learn English. And it was just, she was very controlling and she was very much about the rules. And so the fact that I wasn't a programming specialist and I was doing these things or that I wasn't a librarian and I was doing all these librarian like tasks, she was very much about reminding me that I didn't have experience and she even I remember her bringing up like your only your only job experience is Walgreens and like being told that oh well it's because you're young or just like my age was being brought up a lot and it was very frustrating because it's like I already spent a year feeling like absolute crap because I couldn't find a job I can't start a PhD program and as much as like you know we did talk about I had a good experience and I didn't feel bad being a Latina in U of H you still feel imposter syndrome. You still feel like, am I going to get into grad school? Am I, I know I read a good paper, but am I good at writing a, a graduate level paper? Am I good at writing a graduate level paper in French? Like all of that was a lot. And so then to start a job that was supposed to be my dream job. And then I'm crying at the front desk of a library. I was like, what am I doing? But I got very fortunate that the manager of my now library she wanted me and so it was very much like why don't you like and she Israel who hired me he found out about how I was feeling and he was like she can go with Michael she can Michael was my like temporary manager when Israel left or she can go with Cece who's my current manager and so, so to feel like these other managers are like messaging me on the DL like why don't you come to my library and it's not even like the same position you're getting a promotion was absolutely like the most amazing thing ever and then so I moved in July I officially transferred to my current library as a programming specialist and I have the most amazing manager who's like respectful of my like I'm telling you I was trying to work and she's like you have COVID you're going to sleep and I was like but I know you're going to sleep and I was like okay I guess I'm gonna do that I went through a breakup last year and she was like how are you feeling like she just, it's not her responsibility to be my friend, but she's a, like my mental health. Unfortunately, one of my coworkers, her, her father passed away. And so she was gone for a long chunk of time. So I was working those hours for her. So once she came back, my manager was like, you've been working too much. Now I need you to take off because you're, you're just tired. You need to like take a break. And so like having someone that cares about my mental health, that isn't abusing of my time the way Walgreens was that isn't putting me down that's constantly like reminding me how like appreciated and valued I am that's absolutely done wonders for like the imposter syndrome and I've done so much with HCPL like I've 
I get paid to go work at Comic Palooza. I get paid to work book festivals, book conventions. Like, I get to do all these things that I would have to pay to go to, but I do it for, I go for free and I get paid to be there. So it's absolutely wonderful. Like, I get to meet authors. I get to do book signings. I went to TLA, which is, so TLA is the Texas Library Association, but they had their annual conference. I met so many authors that I absolutely love. Like there's a video of me hugging Kelly. She's uh, a middle grade author. And there's a, she was recording herself signing books. And we like, she gave me a hug because I absolutely adore her. And then I ended up on like her TikTok. And so like, it's just, I have the most amazing job and I love every second of it. I love, because like I am a product of that community and the library that I'm at now was the library by my high school. So that's the library that I would walk to to go do my homework assignments. So like it's nobody is going to know that community better than someone that grew up in that community. And I get to teach. My aunt, my aunt is in one of my computer classes. I don't teach it, but like I planned that computer class. She's in it. My mom is my student for my citizenship class. My cousin is was taking one of my ESL classes. So like my own family my family's friends have benefited from me being at the library like last year hcpl was giving um we, we got a grant so we were giving out hotspots and chromebooks to the community i also have now a hotspot that you know like now i have internet in my house thanks to the library and so there's all these programs that the library gets to offer and yeah no it's still it's not the best pay i mean when you think of like all the years that you spent in school and everything that I did it maybe it's not the pay that I would have thought that I would have been getting like I'm still very much living paycheck to paycheck but it is the most rewarding job that I'm kind of like well I love this job so much and it's so much fun and I'm doing everything that I ever loved like the books are there I love books they're there I'm teaching literature I mean I'm teaching a I'm teaching English to people who need to learn English I planned this class, which is like a read aloud class. So they practice reading some of my favorite books and we practice their pronunciation. I'm doing a journaling class right now where they're practicing writing sentences in English. Like I get to teach all the little fun things that I like to this community that absolutely needs it. Like I'm planning for, like movies, I'm writing letters to inmates. I'm like, I got to like somehow do everything that I wanted to do while I'm at the library. So that's been really convenient been really nice so the PhD thing is kind of like on pause and now it's very much like oh my god am I ever gonna go back but maybe but I'm also kind of like I just have the best job right now that I don't know I really appreciate you sharing everything you just shared because I think you've given insight into like just how hard this process is but then I also feel like you have earned your reward at the end of it all like I know you're talking about like pay is not what you deserve and you know living paycheck to paycheck but I find so much happiness in knowing that like with COVID and not finding a job and having to go back and then a breakup and you know all these types of things and losing friends and family members and whatnot like I just see like where you're at now and I'm just like man like I feel like you are in such a good place, right? Like, and it's just so nice to see that, like, everything that you've gone through, like, it feels like you loving your job is is a reward. It obviously doesn't 
take away the the pain and the hurt and the trauma, you know, that you experience from losses or PTSD from working retail and whatnot. But I'm just like, wow, like, I'm just so happy to hear that life after graduate school, even though you maybe thought that you would have continued or would have wished, like, you're still able to do so many different things. Um, And so I'm so happy that you've taken just really you're just embedded in your community you've said it multiple times like who knows that community better than the people who have are living in it and working in it and your family members and so it's just so great to see everything just come full circle it feels like so I just want to second everything Natalie just said like I'm so happy that you love your job so much and sometimes I just want to say sometimes like even if the pay isn't great, like just the fact that you love your job so much just kind of like makes up for the fact that it's not the most lucrative job. And like, if you're happy and you're able to still like get your bills paid, then that's really the most important thing. Right. Um, so, and PhD will always be there. Like you always have that option later. So if you like want to do this for like however many years, you could always go back to school. So like that's always going to be there, right? But if you're having fun at your job, like, be happy at your job, you know? Um, but I, I will ask uh, if you have any advice um, to anyone thinking about going to graduate school or even thinking about not going to graduate school. If you could give some advice, what would you, what would you say? So I would just say if that's what you want to do, do it. There, There's going to be a way, right? I mean, they might get stuck in a horrible job like Walgreens which like I said it was it had it it had its pros and it absolutely served what it had to serve and I'm thankful that I worked there um it it's not the like grad school and school in general it's just not affordable and I understand that it's not feasible for everyone but I was actually surprised that I could get FAFSA in grad school I didn't realize you could get financial aid I just I thought that it ended but I just went for it and I applied anyways and I was able to get financial aid and that helped. I was able to apply for scholarships. So there's always going to be some help somewhere and it's going to be a lot of research, but sometimes there's schools where there's counselors and there's people who are absolutely wonderful about trying to help you find those resources, especially when you live in Houston where it's a community where they know that so many of those students are Latinos or are African-American. So they, they find the resources for their students. And I do appreciate that. Um, so that would be my advice is like, don't, I mean, I'm a little bit more fortunate. I don't think that we're, we're not rich, but we're okay. Right. And I understand that that's not everyone's experience, but don't let money be a deterrent. Like there's, there, there's a, a way, I mean, I did five years of undergrad and three of my masters. I'm sure there's people that have done longer. If it has to take you longer then do it, like how Della's mentioned, like the PhD is always going to be there. I remember, I think Natalie, when we graduated in 2017, there was like a student that was like in his 70s or something that graduated. And so like, it's, it's never going to end. Like, you can always go back. And like, yeah, I I felt scared for a long time. Like, oh, what's going to happen? Like, if I don't go, then I'm probably never going to go back. But you you do. I mean, you just have like, I know people that took a huge break and then go back. I mean, like I mentioned, my friend Richard, he decided suddenly to do his MFA, like 20 years after he already had a PhD you know so that you can always go back and there will be some kind of financial way to afford it it's not the most affordable and I have been very fortunate but I would say don't let it stop you and then for those who don't I mean my dad makes more than me and he didn't even like 
make it past like elementary school. So I don't know. You're just going to have to work a lot harder in the sun sometimes or drive an 18 wheeler. But there's, I think that there's possibilities for everyone out there. Like if school is your thing, do it because it's going to be absolutely rewarding. And if school's not your thing, that doesn't make you any less or like, my dad does better math than me. I absolutely hate it. This is why I did English. This is why I did like, there's, there's no math in French. I just want to say about FAFSA, you should always apply for FAFSA, whether you are in undergrad or if you are in graduate school, always apply, even if you don't get anything. Because sometimes the schools will have leftover funding that they can use. And if you filled out your FAFSA and didn't receive funding, that puts you at the top of the list to receive some sort of funding from the school but only if you actually applied through FAFSA. I've gotten money that way a handful of times. So FAFSA is, you should all fill it out. That's what, that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. And if you have like trouble, um, there's this program called Grad Cafe. Um, they help with like financial aid and you can find them at like five Harris County Public Library locations. So go to the library. We we have people that will help you fill out job applications. We have people that help you fill out FAFSA applications. Like it, it's all there, everything. Like if you need to renew your passport, that is there too. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that resource. Um, Sylvia, thank you so much for your time and just sharing everything that you shared with us. I know that um, thinking about just all of those things can be very stressful. I mean, but I, I think it's really important for people to know what the reality is and the struggles that people have when going to graduate school. Um, it's so nice to be able to spend this time with you. And um, I can't remember the last time I saw you in person, but one of these days we're going to have to, I'm going to have to drive down to Houston or you can come up here. Um, but thank you so much for being here. Um, Dallas, do you want to close out the episode? Yes. So also thanks Sylvia for being here. This was so much fun. And I'm thinking that you two should do an episode together where you talk about like the experience of being like Latinas in the university, just a little tidbit of an idea. Um, But we want to thank you all for listening. And if you have any questions, podcast episodes, suggestions, anything you want to tell us, you can email us at the phd to be podcast at gmail.com um, or if you want to follow us on instagram send us a dm see us post updates and things like that you can follow us at the phd to be podcast thank you for listening and again shout out thank you sylvia for coming on today this was so fun thank you for having me bye everyone bye. Bye.